Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Life is so fleeting and so fragile. It can feel sometimes like you're standing atop of a Jenga game. You remember Jenga? Just pull out a a little block here and it all could just come tumbling down. Life feels so fragile, so unstable at times, so easily shaken. And in the midst of all of that fragility and fleetingness, I think a natural place for us to turn is to the past. Because at least when everything else is shaking, when everything else is changing, the the past doesn't change. We can hold on to it. It seems solid. It seems like something that's not going to shake out of our grip. You know, the the past can be good and bad. It can be a place of pleasure or a place of pain, both a, a prison house and a palace. What do I mean by that? Well, on the one hand, the past can be a, a pleasurable palace because as you look back, you think of, of fond memories, the good old days, right? And you look through rose-colored lenses and you think about the way that things were and you retain those, those fond memories. But on the other hand, the past can also be a painful prison. Maybe it's because you, you remember some former glory that has since slipped between your fingers. Better days that have now escaped, seemingly never to be recovered again. The past can be a, a painful prison because you remember some things that you wish that you could forget, that you wish that you could escape. In any case, at least it's solid. At least it's a, a place that I can turn to, even if it is painful. You get that pang of nostalgia, which is a word that comes from the Greeks that literally means the wound of home. The wound of home, or as we often call it, homesickness. So we look back on the past to try and remedy our sense of the uncertainty, the instability, the fragility of life. It might lead to pain, it might lead to pleasure, but Both of those responses have a problem to them, see. And the problem is highlighted in our scriptures tonight. So if we're only looking backwards, we might miss the very thing that God is doing right before us. So let's turn to our scriptures. We've got an Old Testament reading and a a New Testament reading, and both of them tie into this theme of seeing what God is doing what he has done in the past and what he is doing perhaps yet in the future. So you start with the Old Testament reading from the prophet Haggai. And I know that you guys have been deep into Haggai, I'm sure, a lot in your Bible reading recently. But just to set the stage for it, just in case, um, Haggai is a very specific book. We have books of the Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel that cover, in some cases, decades. But Haggai covers a very specific moment in time for the people of God. They have come back from exile. They were exiled from their homeland and their temple, their place of worship, and not just their place of worship, but but the place where God located himself for them, that holy place, that sacred place, it had been destroyed, razed to the ground. And then they were led away into Babylon, into exile. 
But now, decades later, finally, they have been brought back to their home. And so, presumably, the first thing that they would want to do, that they'd want to get right onto, is rebuilding the temple, right? And yet they were dragging their feet. The building program had stalled, and it wasn't because of supply chain issues, okay? So why was it? Well, as Haggai diagnoses it, he realizes, and God shows him, that the people remembered in the past the former glory of the temple that was. They remembered how wonderful it was back then. They tell stories about that great and glorious and beautiful temple. And now, now, eh, what's it going to be? Haggai says, I suppose it is as nothing in your eyes. Because you are so preoccupied with that past vision, that former glory, that you can't see and get down to the good work that's right in front of you. It's as though they are imprisoned by that past. To go forward to our New Testament reading, very different setting hundreds of years later from the book of Hebrews. And the the preacher in the book of Hebrews is addressing his people, and they're probably in the city of Rome. They're very far away from where the Israelites were hundreds of years before. And yet he sees in them a similar spirit. See, these are our people, these are followers of Jesus, but who are finding themselves encountering difficult times. That now, as they are living in the freedom of the gospel, they're feeling unfamiliar They are feeling shaken and the the fragility of this new experience that they have of following Christ. And not only that, the hardship that's coming with it, the persecution, the opposition. And so some of them, from their new perspective, standing atop Mount Zion, they're looking back to Mount Sinai. He speaks of these two mountains. And when he talks about Mount Sinai, he's talking about that life under the law. Their life as Jews, as many of them were now Christians... They were thinking back to their life as Jews and and the life under the law, and that was at least familiar. It's not unlike the situation of the Israelites when they were now wandering in the wilderness and thinking, you know what, now we're living in this freedom that God has brought us out into, but at least back in Egypt, yeah, we were slaves, but we were getting three square meals, right? Life was pretty good there. And as the preacher of Hebrews addresses his people now, he, he sees them looking back to the former glory, to life in the past, because the present is so fragile and so uncertain. And so the preacher of Hebrews speaks a word that first came through the mouth of the prophet Haggai hundreds of years before, a word of grace, a word of grace that is encouraging even as it is challenging. And that word of grace is this, once more, once more, yet once more, the Lord says, I will shake both the earth and the heavens. And they think, well, this is just what we're afraid of. We're afraid of things being shaken any more than they already are. Lord, we are on some unstable, uncertain ground. We're just looking for some place that we can finally find some firm footing. Don't talk to us about how you're going to be shaking anything more. But God wants to change their vision instead to see him as like some eccentric old antiques dealer. 
<clears throat> Not a way that we usually think of God, but stay with me here. As some eccentric old antiques dealer, one of those guys you see on those PBS shows, and he's got this Persian rug that has just been uh, uh, covered over with dust and dirt and grime. It's been buried for years, decades. And God says, let me show you. Let me show you what you think was a former glory, even greater than it was. And he's going to take that rug and shake it out. And when he does we'll be able to see a beauty and a glory that we never before imagined. This is the picture that God's giving. He says, yes, I am going to shake, and it is going to rock, rattle, and roll you. I'm going to shake your very foundations, but when I do, I'm going to bring you forth into a beautiful future that right now you can't even imagine once more. It's a challenging word for the people of God to hear. Because what he is saying to them is, guys, quit fixating on the past. There's a reason, God doesn't say this, because cars didn't exist yet, but there's a reason, as is often pointed out, that your rearview mirror is a lot smaller than your windshield, right? It's important to be able to see behind you. It's important to look into the past. You need to know about that. And yet much more so do we need to be able to look ahead to the future. It's a challenging word for God to say once more because he's saying, don't be so focused and fixated on the past that you miss what I'm doing right now. And that's why it's also a word of grace, an encouraging word, because he's telling his people, listen, I know part of the reason that you are looking to the past is because you're trying to find that solidity. But understand that I am giving to you a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You are trying to find some kind of, of false stability located in this world. But I am going to give you a real, unshakable and unshaken kingdom when I act once more. So look ahead, look right in front of you to the work that I'm doing in your midst. It's a word of grace that he speaks to you and me too. In these times, when we can find ourselves feeling shaken and fragile and uncertain and wondering where can we turn to to find something solid, God says, look to me. Look to my kingdom and the work I'm going to do once more. The new work, this new thing, is greater still than the, the former glory. You don't need that homesickness for that past because I'm bringing you to a greater home. Ann and I re recently watched or rewatched uh, this movie, Brooklyn. And in many respects, the movie has this as its theme of how to reckon with the past and now to live in the present instead. It tells a story in the 1950s of a, an Irish immigrant to New York, a young lady by the name of Eilish. And as Eilish comes into Brooklyn, hence the name of the movie, uh, she finds herself just wracked and wrestling with this sense of homesickness as she looks back at all the things that she has lost, sometimes with pain, sometimes with pleasure, until finally her sister dies. 
And when her sister dies, it brings all of these things to a point. Uh, it brings it all to the fore. She's thinking about re regrets that she has and what has she done? Why has she come into this new place? If only she had stayed back there, she can't help but see only the former glory. But then what happens is that uh, she gets swept off her feet by a handsome young man named Tony. Italian, naturally. Tony comes and sweeps Eilish off her feet. But more than that, he shows her a life together in this new place. Not to forget about the past, not to act like it, it didn't happen, but now to incorporate it into a better future. And toward the end of the movie, she's speaking to a fellow Irish immigrant, young woman, and he gives, she gives to her this counsel. She says, you're going to feel so homesick that you'll want to die. And there's nothing you can do about it apart from endure it. But you will, and it won't kill you. And one day, the sun will come out. You might not even notice straight away. It'll be that faint. And then you'll catch yourself thinking about something or someone who has no connection with the past, someone who's only yours, and you'll realize that this is where your life is. And that's how it is for you and me, see. We have our greater groom, our Lord Jesus, who's crazy about us and has swept us up off of our feet and who comes to you and me in the midst of our homesickness and our longing and our fragility and he gives to us a life that cannot be taken away, a kingdom that cannot be shaken so that we don't have to fear the fragility and the fleetingness of it all anymore. Because he's with us now in this place where our life is. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.